our text is Revelation 3.10, which has been the text for this entire series, Four Signs of the Rapture. And today we're going to be looking at the last sign. And you may want to put your finger in Genesis uh, chapter 6. That's the first book of the Bible, so you only got to go six chapters there. And then uh, in the last, uh, if we get to it, I want to get to 2 Peter chapter 3. But uh, we may not get to that today, but we're going to try and go after it. So, Revelation chapter 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. And that's all the world. To try them that dwell upon the earth. Now shall we pray, Father, again I want to thank you that Jesus is coming again. Now, Lord, there is coming a, a rapture. I believe it will be soon. But we don't know the day or the hour. But, Lord, the important thing is that if anyone today, whether they're on the radio, listening by there, or watching by the live stream and hearing, or perhaps in this auditorium, if they're not sure, if they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today they will come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I said, we've already covered the first three signs, and they point uh, to a time when the Lord is going to capture us out. So we're going to look at the fourth sign today, but the first three signs, uh, we covered those. And then right after, before those things happen, though, that are going to happen in the tribulation, uh, there's going to be a rapture. Now, the signs that we've been looking at are not signs that happen that point towards the tribulation, that saying, okay, tribulation's going to be here because the nations are aligning. The tribulation is uh, almost here, so the rapture's got to take place soon because of this, because of that. No, these are things that are happening in the church age that the Lord said would happen in the church age. And so there were four things that I really was looking at, and that's what it's for. Now, the rapture, if uh, you missed any of our sermons, we covered that, but that's uh, uh, on our website, so you can always look back at the website and see that under the title of Signs of the Rapture, and there's four parts to it or four signs to it. So you can follow all the sermons that was on that. However, the rapture is that when every person that is saved, those whose bodies are in the tomb now, those who are alive on the earth and they know that if they die today that heaven's their home because they've received Christ as their Savior. Every one of those will be caught up. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Oh, we're sown a corruptible body, we're raised an incorruptible body. And so, it'll be a change. It says we'll be, he'll fashion us like into his glorious body, not these vile bodies that we inhabit now. So, we spoke about that, and that could happen at any time. That could actually happen before this service is over. Okay, it could happen. And if it does, then uh, Brother Joe, come up and finish the sermon. Uh, <coughs> uh, oh. <laughs> uh, but um, it could happen at any moment. Now, 
we covered these first three signs. The first sign, I believe, was Israel in the land. And when we're talking about Israel in the land, the rapture takes place. And the rapture does not start the tribulation, by the way. It takes place before the tribulation, but doesn't start the tribulation. The tribulation is after the rapture, but doesn't start until a world leader, the Bible refers to him both as a beast, antichrist, but as far as an actual name, we don't know. The Bible doesn't reveal that. He says it won't be revealed until after we're gone. So, he'll uh, set a covenant up with Israel. It's supposed to be a seven-year covenant. Now, in the middle of that covenant, he'll break it in that seven years. But once that's confirmed, that begins the seven years of tribulation of God's uh, pouring out this uh, judgment, this hour of temptation that he calls it, of trial, that is. And so, when we see that, uh, you and I won't be here. We'll be in heaven, okay, if you're saved. But, it's at the end of the tribulation, Isaiah chapter 11 addresses that Christ comes back to this earth, sets up a 1,000 year reign, but in doing that, He gathers all the scattered of the Israelites from all around the globe. However, for there to be a covenant to be signed, there has to be a nation now, and there has to be a government now for Him to have a covenant with them. So when we see Israel back as a nation now in the land in 1948 and then in Jerusalem in 1967 and just uh, in the past uh, couple years a capital recognized now as Jerusalem of Israel. So when you see all of that, boy I tell you what that tells you, okay these are things that are going to be there when the rapture takes place and this world leader has that opportunity to do that. So, that's the first thing that we're seeing there is that they're back in the land and uh, then they are going, uh, going to go through some of the worst times that man has ever known. Now, the second sign of the soon rapture, we talked about pestilence. And as I pointed out, pestilence has been here since the days of the cross and really since the Old Testament. Uh, there's always been a pestilence, okay? One after another. We call them pandemics, we call them epidemics, but whatever you call it, it's pestilence. That's what it comes under is that name. It's a pestilence. And so they've always been there, but this is a little bit different than those. And you say, well, how is that different? Because in past pestilences, and let me just give you one, Israel. In Israel, you had leprosy. And so those that got leprosy, they had to wear a covering over their face, covering their nose, the veil, and nobody else had to wear them, but they did have to say unclean when people got close to them. They'd have to yell unclean. And so that was to warn people not to come near because I've got something that you could catch. It didn't mean everybody else had to wear it, but it didn't mean that the ones that have it need to wear it. Makes sense, okay? Keep others from getting it. But today, now they're looking at mandates. And you say, well, now, why is that a sign? Well, simple, simple as this. If they mandate this, and it threatens jobs, 
It threatens being able to travel. It threatens other things. It shows the very reality of when the Antichrist does take over world rule. And he sets up that you've got to receive a mark either in your hand or in your forehead. And if you don't receive that mark, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't pretty well do anything. And he's going to have an image made of himself that in the middle of that tribulation when he breaks his covenant with Israel, he's going to be placed in the temple which will have been built by that time, which will also be destroyed because there's going to be a new temple in the thousand year reign. But he will have put his, his image there, and if you don't bow to that image, you won't worship that image, you can be put to death. If you don't receive that mark, then you will starve or be put to death. Now, we see people today are very fearful, and I understand with all the advertisement and everything that's being said about it, uh, very, people are very fearful about COVID. And yet, that won't match what they're doing in the tribulation, that you can't buy or trade or anything. Now, we've seen how COVID has wrecked businesses, wrecked economy. I mean, aren't you thankful that the gasoline prices are going up? You know, and so when you see all those things that are happening, you say, wow. But it helps us. You see, it's not that the COVID is a sign, but what's happening is a sign that shows us something that a lot of us said, well, how could people do that? I mean, the Bible said that that would happen. Why would they take the mark? Because they take that mark, they cannot be saved. So why would people do that? Now you see why. The threat of death. The threat of death. And so uh, they'll have to receive that mark. Or they starve to death, be put to death, or whatever else. And so, again, in this church age in which we live, this is the church age that we live in today, and we're finding that before the rapture of the uh, church, these things are showing themselves. And so we're seeing how that could happen. I believe the Lord is just showing us one of the things that's not the pestilence, but the power that will come in and how they will be able to do that. And so the Bible informs us all about that. And so we, we uh, looked that over. As a matter of fact, we looked in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and this is uh, what I call a proof text. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous was defined as... Dangerous, hazardous. Is this world in dangerous and hazardous times today? I believe so. I believe so. And it says uh, there, when he says that, he's referring to specifically the last days. But the Greek is set up that it is the last days of a specific period. Well, he's addressing the local church, the church as it is. So, what's he mean? He's meaning that in the last days, the church age, this is what is going on. There'll be perilous times before the return of Christ, before he calls us up in the clouds. Now, understand, when we meet the Lord in the air, that's not the second coming. 
The second coming is when, at the end of the tribulation when he actually touches the earth. That's why we're meeting him in the clouds. And so what we're seeing there is that that pertains to the church age. And so I like that because just these first two signs and things that we see happening, it tells us the Bible's very accurate. 100% accurate. So, we see, one of the things that we see in that passage about the local church, and again, it's about the church, not the world. But the problem is, we're seeing the world in the church instead of the church in the world changing the world. You see, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We're not supposed to make the church like the world. We're out to try to bring the world to Jesus Christ and let Christ change their hearts and lives through His precious Word of God. In, in our Sunday school class, I know each Sunday school classes have different things going, but uh, uh, today... Brother Woodard was talking about Bible versions. You know, they made new Bible versions, different kinds of them, so we'd have understanding. Oh, you can understand it better. You know what? There is more misunderstanding than ever because they tried to change the Word of God. And God warned of the problems that would come, and they have come. And so, I appreciate him doing that because, boy, I tell you, it was right on, right down the line. So, again... They're trying to bring the world into the church when our job is to change the world through the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, but I want America saved. Good. Go out and lead Americans to Christ. We've got to get Americans saved. That's the way America gets saved. We've got to get Americans saved. Not religious. We've got to get them saved. Where they're given totally to Christ... And not just some religion of some kind. Verse 5 there of that same chapter said, it states, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Form of godliness. Oh, we have church. Hey, we even sing some songs that has Jesus' name in it. But it sounds like a nightclub. It sounds like a rock and roll concert. Provocatively dressed people. And so... The contemporary movement is strong evidence that confirms verses 1 through 4 of the soon rapture that we're looking at. It's very evident there. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, and uh, you know, what's interesting, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation deals with the church, the church age. It's not dealing with the tribulation. It's dealing with the church age. Tribulation in Revelation starts in chapter 4, but we're called out. When they calls out from heaven, come up hither. He's called all of those, those that were in the grave and those that are alive, they come up. And then after that time is the beginning of the tribulation. And he's sit uh, the rest of the way all the way in, uh, through chapter uh, 20, and then chapters 21, 22, thank, thankful for them, they talk about heaven. And oh, what a glorious place that is. But again, 
We're looking at things right now as the Bible points it out would happen. And so, uh, as one reads uh, those uh, chapters, you see the time could be at any time. So, we've seen what? We've seen Israel back in the land. We've seen the signs of uh, the pestilence as it shows forth how they can take over. Okay, so we, we see these other signs and, and the other three signs. And so, but now, there's a fourth sign, and that's what I want to go to. The fourth sign is in Genesis chapter 6. And so, if you go there, and we start in verse 1. <clears throat> and it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born unto them. Okay, this is the day of Noah. Okay, so I want you to understand that. That the sons of God. Now, some say, oh, those are angels. Or they're demons. No. The sons of God are of Seth's line. Remember, Cain kills Abel. It's not Abel's line. He doesn't have a line. This is Seth's line. They're the ones that that line stayed true to God. They're the line from which Noah will come. They're the line that stood right. Okay? So they're standing right for the Lord. And so the sons of God are not angels or any of that. But these are sons of God. And, and then they saw on the ones they got going after, the daughters of men and so forth, that they were fair to look upon. See, the daughters of men seem to be Cain's line or somehow associated with it. They never converted to the Lord. They're out of Cain's line. And they looked at them. They looked at these daughters as some men look at pornography. And when the devil begins to work, he works in the minds of people. And they went after them. They went after these women in their lust. And these women were drawn in to it. And the result was the corruption of mankind. It gets worse and worse till you get to the day of Noah. And the Lord said, verse 3, well, let me just look at verse 2, and that the sons of God, okay, Again, they looked at them, and again, I just, I, I, I want to go back to that because, folks, you've got to guard the eye gate and the heart gate with the Word of God. If you learn to think on the Word of God, read it every day, start the day out in the Word of God, and think on what you've just read that day and let it be there, my friend, it can help you when the devil attacks. It becomes a shield. 
Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Now let's go on to verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. So the Lord said, how much longer before he's going to send this flood? Now at times, the Lord will give you a call. You'll be under conviction saying, you know, I should do something about that. Per person not saved, oh, I know I'm not saved, but not now. Well, that time comes. It comes around. God has a time where he says, okay, that's it. One day you'll set in an invitation, and you'll say, not now, and you're taken out of this world, and it's not ever. At that point, it's not ever. One second after death, it's too late. The very second of death, it's too late. If you're not saved, it's too late. If as a Christian, you can't do anything else now to turn it around where you've messed up, when you could have changed your life when you was down here by repenting as a Christian and getting things right with God once again. And you'll find out that God sometimes takes people before they were. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11? People in that church, some of them were coming to the table drunk, some of them were living in adultery, some of them were living some other terrible sins. What God do? It says some slept early. Some were taken home early. God does have, does, He does have deadlines, but He doesn't reveal those deadlines to you. He only reveals to you the call that He has. That's why you need to listen to the Word of God, be in the Word of God, and listen to the preaching of the Word. Now we're going to verses 5 and 6. He says, And God said that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart are only, only evil continually. Uh, do you notice that? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 kind of reiterates that when it says that at that day he'll make the thoughts and the intents of the heart known to all. That's why you need God's word in your heart. God will judge you on your thoughts and intents of the heart. Other people may not know about it, but if you don't repent, you don't get those things right with God, I'll tell you what, He will, you, your family, all those about will know that that was there of which you were unrepentant. Not because I say so. All you have to do is read the Word of God. You know, my age group, we've witnessed that depravity. I mean, Back in the 50s, I never heard a cuss word on television for church, sure. But there could be a group of men, you'd be coming around the corner, you could hear this, this bad language, but as soon as you walked around the corner and they saw it was a kid, or if they saw it was a lady, those men would stop their cussing. Now you see the ladies cussing right there with them. We've seen the depravity of this country as it's developed. There's one feeling I have for your children, grandchildren, is the fact that it was already here when they arrived on the scene. And they don't know what it could be, even though that wasn't heaven, 
at least it wasn't filled with such depravity. And one time, a, a, a word, sometime whenever a word would slip out of a person's mouth in front of a child or a, or a lady, they would apologize immediately. And so, we find there that uh, uh, in verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. Remember, look at that verse, next verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the most wicked of times, in the most wicked of places, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. My friend, it doesn't matter how evil you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. No matter how deep in the sin you have been. I want you to know that God can save the vilest of men. Isn't it interesting? David had a man killed, committed adultery. Paul had people killed, beat Christians, and God was able to change their lives when they gave their heart and life to the Lord. Moses killed a man. God changed his life. He can change. He can take the guttermost and change him to the uttermost. And he can do it right now. He can do it today. And now we look here in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Well, would you say that the world is filled with violence today? You remember when they used to leave church doors unlocked 24-7? Most people, if they locked their doors, they locked them at night when they went to bed, but for the most part, they didn't lock the doors. It's not that way anymore, is it? Verses 12 and 13 kind of ditto that, where he says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God warned of judgment to come. He told them of a flood of waters that was going to come. God warned them. There was no worry about that. Did, would they know? God warned them. And God has told us when it's getting soon for Him to come back again, only it's going to be different this time. In 2 Peter chapter 2, if you want to go over there, verses 4 and 5, and then I'll go to chapter 3 if we have time here. If God spared not, <clears throat> you notice the way he starts out, if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, not all fallen angels were put in that place at that time, to what we call hell, and chained there. 
Hell's not a place where the devil and his angels are going to torment people. It was created to torment them. That's why at Gadarene, when Jesus was casting out devils, that legion of demons said, please, let us go to that herd of swine. Don't send us to that place before the time. They feared hell more than men do. Not all demons were set there. I kind of think that these were the ones that worked through men to corrupt the line of Seth. It said, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now look, I've heard people run down Noah. I mean, they run down Noah as one of the worst men that could call him, call him a saved person because he got drunk was one of the reasons. Uh, yeah, but you know what? You don't read of any drunkenness before the flood. It's quite possible that with the sun and everything and what it did to the grapes and things like that, he got drunk and didn't know he was getting drunk. Now, is that the truth? I don't know. But they can't say assertively that, that that's not the truth. They don't know, and I don't know. But they say it as, as if they knew, as if they were there, and they have a written record of it. You know, people like to accuse people, don't they? They want to find the worst, not in the bad people. They want to find the worst in godly people. They'll read the Bible. They'll see anything they can find wrong with uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Paul, and the whole group. Why don't you look at what's wrong with the devil? And then they'll say, but he cursed Cain. No wonder. What kind of a grandfather would curse his own grandson? Well, let's think about this. To them, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We look at Israel as the children of God, don't we? But Deuteronomy 28, if you read that, you'll find that the Lord said, okay, I've got blessing for you if you obey. I've got cursing for you. I'll curse you if you disobey. So, by using your idea of Noah, what a terrible person he was, you've got to believe that God was very terrible because he cursed those that went against the word of God. Or he did the right thing. Do you want to justify that grandson coming in on Noah the way he did. No, but that's exactly what you're doing when you do that. And so make sure you take God's side, not the devil's side, when it comes to the Word of God. Now look, Noah preached 120 years. We can say, boy, not many people got saved. There must have been something wrong with him. Oh, no. Nothing was wrong with him at all. What was wrong was the world. Sin. You still have a sin nature when you get saved. That sin nature is not taken away until you get to heaven. But if you're saved, at least you know you're going. You'll have the presence of sin removed at that time. But you still have a sin nature and you still can make a choice. You've got a free will because you're made the image of God and God has a free will. And that spirit of yours can decide to Obey God as a Christian or disobey. You better choose to obey. Second Peter chapter 3. 
the evolutionists uh, hate, hate it, the replacement of truth with political thinking and, and critical thinking and, and all that that loses respect for God, the country, law enforcement, and any other authority. They are all right with religion, but not righteousness. It was as wicked as Noah's day. Nobody wanted it. Can you imagine preaching 120 years? They lived long at that time. Preached 120 years, a preacher of righteousness. He didn't let up. Till God took him into the ark. He didn't change with the times. He didn't change because well, no, people won't like my preaching. They won't like this if we don't change it. We got to do this. We got to have music. We got to have those people dancing. We got to have that. No, he didn't change it. He kept it holy. He kept it the way God wanted it to be. And here's the question being mocked daily for 120 years. None of us are going to get that for 120 years, okay? All those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, the Bible says. But one thing we do know Noah stuck with it. In this day in which we live, will you stick? Perhaps verse 18 can help you here. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in Him. Matter of fact, verse 17 says, Therefore, beloved, seeing that you know such things before, <laughs> before it happened, beware lest ye also are led away with the error of the wicked. You fall. You fall from your own steadfastness. Oh, don't change with the times. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says it best. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, if Noah, without a crowd that backs him up, could stick, you can stick because you've got, if you're saved, you've got the very Holy Spirit of God, and you can have a whole church filled like this, top to bottom, every one of them saved. But it won't be the same power as the Holy Spirit has inside you if you'll let them. My friend, if he's going to be your all in all, that means every facet of your life, your job, your home, your recreation, and whatever you do, Christ is all in all. Now go up to verse 1 real quickly. I want to uh, cover this real quickly, and then we'll uh, close this part out. This, this second epistle, he says, beloved, here in chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Peter, I now write unto you, both in which I stir up your pure mind, by way of remembrance, that it may be, that uh, you may be mindful, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. You know what he's saying? The prophets. This is in the Old Testament. The apostles. This is the New Testament. This has been consistent all the way through. The Bible's one book. 
Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Now he's talking about the last days. I don't think just of the church age, but of the tribulation and everything else, but per, much well as the church age. There shall come in the last days. Now think of that, the last days. Scoffers, walking after their own lusts. Now, scoffers are people who mock, they undermine, and they seek to sabotage anything that's good and righteous, has standards, and is holy. They seek to do all of that against it with their critical thinking to try to bring it down, their critical attitudes, critical spirits. They want to bring it down. They want to change it. And he goes on in verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the Father's fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Oh, so they're saying there wasn't a worldwide flood. Aren't scientists trying to say that today? Oh, there wasn't a worldwide flood. Folks, I believe the witness by the one that was there and actually did it. I believe of the one that was in the ark as well, the humans on that part, besides God in heaven that did it, I, I, the, those on the ark saw it all. They know. They didn't deny it. Oh, there wasn't a worldwide flood. Then what in the world was you doing on that ark so long? No, they didn't deny it. That had been one of the dumbest things they could have done. You know what? That's still a lie today. And it's still stupid. There was a flood upon this earth. For this they are willingly ignorant of. They reject. They won't humble themselves before God. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby, verse 6, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. It happened as God said it would happen 120 years earlier before it happened. The rapture is going to happen just like God has already said. God gives you a hint that you might get saved and, and get your life changed about. So verse 7 says, but the heavens and the earth which are now <clears throat> by the same word, kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men, people without God, without Christ. Now think about that. Don't make the mistake that all those people of that day made, they died. They died in the flood of waters. What they mocked killed them. Lord promised Noah he'd never destroy the earth again with the flood of waters. So how's it going to be destroyed? With fire. In verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Wow. One day, a thousand years. Now think about that. That's God's mind. That's not our mind. That's God's mind. One day is as a thousand years. I mean, He's eternal. 
Guess what? How many days did God create the heavens and the earth in? Seven days. But what did He do on the seventh day? He didn't do His creating. It was over at the end of the sixth. What did He do on the seventh? He rested. This earth is about 6,000 years old. Now, I know scientists have made it millions and millions of you know, it's hard to understand that because it keeps on changing. One, one year it's older, next year it's younger. Then it goes back to something else, something else. We don't have to worry about that with God. He's unchanging. But isn't it interesting if one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day? We're getting near that seventh year of rest, that seventh day of rest. When the Lord comes back and He sets up that millennial kingdom, to be followed by an eternal kingdom in which if you're His, you can have a place of ruling and reigning forever and ever. What a great thing that is. But, you know, before I read verse 9, I want to read verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned. They shall be burned up. It'll happen as sure as the flood happened. Verses 11 and 12 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what matter of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting to the coming day of the God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. They wouldn't believe in Noah's day, and too many won't believe in this day, because the lust of the flesh are more important to them. But my friend, heaven is reality, hell is a reality. Now we go to verse 9. And the verse 9 says, there, he says, uh, I want you to think of this. The Lord, again, God who brought the flood, who brought the fire, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slack but is long-suffering to us word. He doesn't get a thrill. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked in Ezekiel. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from their evil way. So, he has no pleasure. It's not slack concerning his promise. Some count slackness, but it's long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does he mean by that? It's changing from that you're in charge now the Lord's in charge of your life. Now, friend, I wanted to finish this series today, and I went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but look, one day it's not going to be, it's going to be cut off, and you're not going to have a chance to be saved if you're not sure you're saved. Who needs to be saved? Every human being on the face of the earth needs to be saved. Most of you people I'd probably say are saved here because that day you came to do the same thing that everybody has to realize. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're born into this world a sinner. 
The glory of God is Jesus Christ. You're not measured to me, and I'm not measured to you. We're measured next to Jesus Christ. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, but <clears throat> it says there, but the wages of sin is death. Final, complete, separation from God forever in the lake of fire. But the gift of God, not something you earn, it's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize that when Jesus was on a cross, every sin you ever have or ever will commit was placed on Him? You think of that suffering, you will never suffer in this life as much as He suffered for your sin. That blood of His was placed at the mercy seat of heaven, and it's there to apply to your account if you'll receive Him as your Savior. But you've got to admit, I'm a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell. I want the gift of God. I want to give Him my heart and life. It's as strong and stronger than the commitment one would make in marriage. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, that is the righteousness of Christ, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Now here's a special blessing. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you're willing to give Him your heart and life, He can save your soul today, come and live in you for the rest of eternity, be your Lord, be your Savior, but you've got to come to Him, and you've got to come to Him to receive Him. And if as a Christian you've wandered away, realize the day's coming soon where you're going to be caught up. And the Bible says if you're saved, it's going to be in one of two ways. You're either going to be ashamed or you're going to have confidence. Which is it? Why not try to change it if you know that you'd be ashamed? Why not try to change it today? Let's bow our heads.